Welcome. You're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they have been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Vulnerability Sunday. Welcome to Bible Marathon. We're, we're going to be doing something very amazing today. And I want you to be ready. You know, I'm, it's, it's going to be less of a teaching, more of just like a walkthrough of what this concept is. Many people don't have a theological background into the believer and suffering. Before we do that, let's just spend some time in prayer. Welcome, yeah. Um, hi, Ayo. All right, let's pray. Oh, Father, we love you so dearly. We appreciate you and we give you all the praise, all the glory, the honor, adoration belongs to you. You are, you are true and you are the truth. Thank you because we can come together as a family to learn your word. We ask for insight. We ask for training in righteousness. Help us to see the things that your word teaches. Help us to run the race that has been set before us. Let this time be productive. Let it be rewarding for our hearts, for our souls, and for our eternal worship and glorying in Christ. We pray all these things. Amen. All right. So if this is your first time, this is Bible Marathon. And we meet here every Sunday. Um, and we just discuss different aspects that we suspect might not be hammered on massively in the church. So we talk about hermeneutics, that is Bible interpretation. We talk about apologetics, which is the defense of the faith. How do you defend the gospel? How do you handle opposition to the message? And we talk about charisma, which is gifts of the spirit, everything that has to do with the charismatic ministry of the believer. And then we talk, we have a Sunday, which is this Sunday. And as you can see on the screen, it's vulnerability Sunday. That means we're open. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6 that we should be we should be open to one with one another if anyone is caught in a fault restore such a one right but more so in vulnerability Sunday we want to discuss aspects of our Christian walk that involves being open being broken you know the weakest aspect of our Christian faith a lot of people have this idea of Christianity that is very unfounded. And we're going to see that today. You know, Christianity ends up being a means to an end for a lot of people. But as we're going to learn and discuss and fellowship together here, we're going to see that this is an aspect where I think the church is vulnerable because there is little knowledge or little teaching on this aspect. And this aspect is suffering. I have a question, just a general question. How many of us have suffered before because i want to know my audience and i want to understand i want to make sure we can go on a journey together so how many of us if you've suffered unmute yourself and tell me how you suffered anybody okay i can just share a little bit um i think um, this the whole topic of suffering, especially when it comes to the Christian faith. I think <laughs> um, it's it's very without without saying too much. I think it's a very important topic to discuss, which I'm really happy that you are discussing. To, we're going to be discussing today, and I think for me, there was a time in my life that I really felt that 
you know, I, I use this word explicitly to describe it, saying that I really felt that God wounded me, even though in that moment, that was that was how it felt. And I know, of course, like it wasn't necessarily God causing me pain, so to speak. Um, but I think there are times in our life that we go through immense challenges and immense pain that we don't even know um, how to how to navigate and we look around us and most time it's always just like um jumping for joy or rejoicing in those moments don't seem like it's possible or it's even a reality in your future so but I think those moments they shape us in a very tremendous way um that builds our faith in a way that um we would we would appreciate at the long run. So yeah. Awesome. You almost you almost preached the whole te- sermon today. <laughs> That's beautiful. Hi, Grace. I see you. Uh, Margaret, you have something to say? Go ahead. Let's hear you. Someone's asking on, in the chat, like, what, so- what kind of suffering? I mean, any kind of suffering. Any kind. Okay. Can be flooded um, anyway, primary school. <laughs> Go ahead, okay, Margaret. Good Hi. Um. I I want to think that I've suffered. I'll tell you why I said so. Right? Was, this happened quite recently to me. So I'm a medical student. I'm in school and I know how, you know, where we get to put in a lot of effort to read in and out, get to see patients and, you know, get to prepare exams. And you know, you know, working very hard for it and you're trusting God that all things are going to work out fine. You do the right things. You do not break the rules. You do not, um, I mean, this is Nigeria. Sometimes they try to sort and then you decide you will not sort when everybody's almost doing the same thing. Not everybody, but almost everybody. And so I wrote an exam and I didn't get through. I failed it. I could not believe it. That was like my favorite subject there. And sometimes when you ask for your scripts to be reviewed, um, it might never happen. They will not, you have access to that. So it happened to me and I asked for it to be reviewed. And um, by the time I had gotten to the HOD, that's the head of the department, he said, oh, wow, you passed this exam. And apart from that, I know you, you're open about and everybody has nothing we can do about it. It has been signed by the external examiners. Like, you know, the investors, the external examiners have already signed it. What? So I'm expected to spend an extra year, right? So I felt so bad. I felt so terrible. It was a difficult time. Yeah. And when I mean it happened recently, it's not like it's this year, well, let's say last year. So by now I would have been, I would have been, I would have been getting inducted. I would have been a graduate by now. Okay. So it was a very, difficult time for me. I felt I had suffered, but I still feel I'm suffering because most of my mates now, I'm seeing them getting through, you know, doing what they need to do. And sometimes I catch myself wishing it was me. But one of the things I know that had helped me through it was just God's word. I I don't know how he just manages to say things to me. And whenever I pray, he was, or rather he is always there comforting me. Yeah, I can even assure you that whenever I say, Lord, I need a hug, I just get it. I don't know how it happens, but I just feel his hand literally enveloped me. So I, I think I, I yeah. will 
suffering over that period of time. It wasn't really wonderful. Thanks Thank for you. sharing. That's, I mean, that is real suffering. Um, if you've experienced something like that, you know what you know what she's talking about. Where you've done all you can, but everything goes the opposite way, especially when you're not even to blame. Um, yeah, it can it can be really bad. I know a lot of us have more examples, but I want us to move forward and just see what God's word actually says about suffering. Because suffering is in different um, forms, you know. And the truth, as we're going to find out today, is that Christi- um, in Christianity, suffering is not, a, is not an exception to the rule. Like, it's, it's, you'll be blown away with some of the things you'll be hearing today. Some of you might be hearing some of this for the very first time. But I think it's important that we build that theological foundation because that's what we do here. Let's find out what God's word actually says about this. But before we start, um, I want to read a scripture. And this is like something that should back up everything that you do as a Christian. All right. Um, Let's read from verse 22. We're reading from James chapter 1 from verse 22. I'm going to read it from the NLT. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are fooling yourself. Some of you know this verse already in the King James. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And one thing you realize is that a lot of people take in a lot of knowledge. Christians today, we are so good at taking in a lot of knowledge, but there's nothing coming out. It's just internalization. You know, we go to church, we listen to a sermon, we're stared up, and that's it until next Sunday, you know. And that's one thing that James is saying, hey, don't be that kind of person. Be that person who listens to God's word and acts on it. Listen to the word, hear it, internalize it, and do it. Because look at this. Look at what follows after in verse 23. It says, for if anyone be a hearer of the word, I'm not a doer. So if you're someone who hears the word a lot, but you don't do anything with it, he says, he's like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. You know, a lot of ladies will understand this. Every lady literally looks in the mirror before she goes out for an event. Because you're either doing makeup, you're probably doing something. But imagine if you looked into a glass or a mirror in this case, that's what it is when it says in the glass. You know, you look and then... He says, he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and forgets what manner of man he was. In other words, you look at what you are in the mirror, but you totally forget everything that you saw. That's exactly what it is. And I think the, the correlation here is if you don't do the word, you'll be a forgetful hearer. If you don't do whatever the word tells you to do, you will forget it. It will not bear root in your life. It will not bear fruit, sorry, in your life. So you need to be that kind of Christian that says, see, I'm going to look at what God's word says. If it is true, if it is correctly interpreted, I'm going to go for it. No matter the cost, I'm going to believe this and I'm going to do it. So that's what I, that's the mindset I want you to have for the rest of this meeting. All right. So let's break it down. Let's talk about this topic of believer and suffering. All right. The believer and suffering. So in the, in the, just some, some, some points to, to take note of. In the New Testament, the word to suffer or suffer, different variations of that word, the Greek word is pasko, 
P-A-S-C-H-O. And it means to suffer. That's really the meaning. Um, and it appears, guess how many times in the New Testament? More than 40 times. That tells you something immediately. When you see a word that is repeated so many times in the New Testament, and, and this is just me being very, very conservative, because when I say 40 times, I'm talking about just that word, Pasco. I'm not talking about synonyms of the word, where suffering may have been used in other forms, like trials, persecution. It's not here. So you can imagine, you can almost double that number. But how many Christians today have a theology on suffering? Like how many Christians understand that as a believer, there is something called suffering that comes along with being a believer? In fact, maybe you didn't know this, but the name Christian, I've said this before. Let me ask, does anyone know how we got the name Christian? Real quick. Anybody? I think I know. Um, yeah. They were first called Christians in answer because of how right. they behaved. Right. So they saw these people following this Christ, this Jesus, this Messiah that they believed in. And the people that called them Antioch were not believers. Um, the people that called them Christians in Antioch were not believers. So it's already a spite word to use. In, in, if you were to translate that word Christian or transliterate it, it's really basically saying little Christs. And it was a mocking term. So if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you are actually, in a sense, accepting some kind of suffering. <laughs> so that's very, very foundational. The fact that you bear the name Christian. In fact, Peter puts it this way. He says, if you suffer for bearing that name, Christian. That's how he says it in the Greek, that name Christian, because it's already a suffering in itself or a form of suffering. So that's very important. The word suffer is so many times in the New Testament. And this is very, very, you know, surprising to a lot of people because when they experience some kind of suffering, they think it is not normal. They think it is not a scriptural concept, but it's not foreign to the scriptures at all. It's it's everywhere. You know, if you already have some kind of biases to it, that's when you won't see it clearly. We're going to look at a bunch of scriptures today and it's going to blow your mind. Um, but I have a short video that I want us to watch. All right. And the lady that made this video um, was trying to be sarcastic, but I hope you get the message when you watch it. So it was a conversation between herself herself in the 21st century and a first century Christian, because today we're going to be looking at first century Christians. <laughs> exactly. Treasure said that in, in Christianity today, if, you're, if, you're, if you suffer in any way, especially for the name of Christ, people will attribute it to village people. In fact, I recently heard something. There was a, a pastor that was imprisoned. Uh, I think he's in Yemen. Yeah. And, you know, in the in the blog, the person was like, if this happened in America, people would be saying, oh, he did something wrong. You know, they will, they will, they will say, oh, well, how can a minister of God be put in prison? Because it's so, it's so absurd that the very thing someone is doing or going through to glorify Christ is what people, believers are looking at and saying, oh, no, God hates this person. But let's look at this video. It's, I hope it warms your heart. It made, I, I laughed at some point, but I was like, oh my God, this is so true. The disconnect between the first century church and today's church. So I want you to enjoy this video. 
Um, I'm going to bring it to the screen here. Make it full screen. Uh, let me know if you all can see it. All right, and I have to make sure you can all hear. All right, so it's like eight minutes long, but I think it's worth watching. So here goes. Hey, wow, cute scarf. <laughs> so how's it going? Well, it's kind of tough. Could die any day if they catch us. This current emperor is really against us. I heard he's actually lighting Christians on fire as torches to light his gardens. Oh, that is so rude. It's been a few days since I ate. The Roman Empire just doesn't get us. Oh, what is wrong with these people? They think we're atheists because we don't worship a pantheon of gods like they do, which is a huge no-no in this political climate. I haven't bathed in a while. The, the water's really dirty, so you can't drink it or you'll get sick and die a horrendous death. Oh, but the other day we, we rescued some babies from the garbage dump where uh, they were left to die. So, you know, it's great that we were able to rescue them, but more mouths to feed now. So lots of persecution, but God is good. Our Lord is worth it. How about you? How is it going? Wow, that just, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Ugh, and I know exactly what you mean by persecution. You should see what online persecution is like. It's the worst. The other day, I posted a Bible verse and an atheist like totally made fun of me. It like really got to me and it really ruined my day. <sighs> but I'm persevering. And as for me, how I'm doing, well, <laughs> let me tell you, I am declaring blessing, victory, and prosperity, hallelujah. You should like move or something. I'm not sure why you'd stay in a place that really doesn't appreciate the power of the gospel. I don't, I don't get that. Just, just leave. You poor thing. You just need to speak the power over them, sister. If you want to change the direction of your life, just change the declaration of your lips. I can teach you. I, I mean, maybe, uh, I think I should just start with not dying first. Oh, wow. Oh, no, no, no. You should not speak like that. Here, watch, hold on, let me. Okay, here's some of day 26 from Joel Olstein's online declarations. Joel, I know, I know you're excited, but hold on, okay. Repeat after me, repeat everything I'm gonna say, because there's power in your words. On, online, what is this line of on? Is this, is this on a line somewhere? Should I be? I declare that my mind is set on what God says about me. I know his plan for me. Hey, hey, it's okay. Repeat after me. His plan for me. His plan for me. Yes. Good, see? Okay, his plan for me is success, is success. 
Happiness. Happiness. And abundance. And abundance. Very good. This is my declaration. This is my declaration. Very good. I knew you could do it. See, we create life and death with our words. So speak life, not death. It's in the Bible or something. Bible? Oh, yes, that's right. We have all the scriptures. We're able to read everything, even the very words of Jesus. You can read too? I can only dream of such a thing. I I bet you read it every day and you pour over every word, studying and memorizing. I bet it must be so nice to have something so precious with you all the time. I bet you've read it all, the whole thing, like dozens of times. I mean, maybe a little bit. I mean, when I have time. I mean, I'm really super into my current Netflix binge. What is this flicking a net? Why would you flick a net? But I do try and carve out a few minutes each day for my quiet time. I'm just so busy and there's just so much going on. I mean, with the kids' soccer practice and my book club. Oh, oh, and my favorite, Wind Down Wednesday. It's so good with some breeches. You should try it. It's good. So let me get this straight. You not only have abundant food and safety, but you have the very letters and writings that I will probably never get to touch, see, or read in my lifetime that have the very words of our Lord on it, and you don't even read it? If we're caught with anything like that, we can be murdered or arrested. I volunteer and make a lot of casseroles. It helps. I mean, I mostly let my celebrity pastor read it and tell me things about it. A celebrity? No, no, close. I mean, I could see how you could make that mistake. Um, no, it's celebrity. It means he's super important and famous and stuff. I mean, theology and reading just really gets in the way of my personal relationship with Jesus, you know? I mean, plus he has super nice shoes, too. I mean, a lot of people know about him and are encouraged by his message about how Jesus can improve your life. I mean, it's in the Bible or something. Oh, 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 you mean like Paul? Like fearlessly preaching the gospel of salvation, living modestly and enduring persecution, all the while being content in the strength of Jesus? Hey, I have that scripture on my wall, but um, no, not exactly. I mean, of course, he talks about Jesus and the gospel and stuff, but it's important we explain that Jesus came to bring joy and happiness to everyone. He mostly preaches about how the Bible can help our lives and stuff. I mean, no amount of therapy or wine can give me the serotonin fix that going to a good hyped-up sermon can. I mean... Like, if you're needing to be motivated, fired up, or have some sort of deep emotional need, he's definitely the loudest person in the room to yell that at you. Yeah. What kind of stuff does this uh, uh, famous man say about our Lord? Well, basically the gospel that Jesus loves us and wants us to be happy no matter what, and that you can be victorious over suffering and sickness and stuff. Or something. So, hold on. In 2,000 years, we escape persecution, 
Christianity is legal. It advances many areas of science, philosophy, art, religion, education, morality. You have all the scriptures and countless languages that you don't even study or read have more information than any other era in human history with this line of on you speak of that I still can't find. And this is where we are right now. Aren't you proud of us? <laughs> I mean, isn't it wonderful? And the best part is that my church service is only like 47 minutes long, which really helps beat the Sunday lunch rush at my favorite restaurant. By the way, do you happen to know your Enneagram number? We seem totally compatible. What's wrong with you people? I never thought I'd say this, but I think I have the better deal. I'm going to go now. A seven? Eight? Um, hope you guys could hear. Yes. Okay. I mean, I don't know how you felt after watching that. I mean, when I watched it, I was like, she was. She made some really, really nice jokes, so it was funny. But I, I started thinking about it. The title of the, the video is "If a First Century Christian Had a Conversation with Your Average 2021 Christian." It's by um, um, Melissa. She she makes. She has a YouTube channel. She talks a lot about um, postmodernism. Um, you know progressive Christianity and all of that stuff. She has really good content. Um, but the point of this, and I hope it, it got your attention that we are so dis disassociated from our heritage, our Christian heritage, that some of us don't even know how Christianity got to us. Some of us don't really understand what people had to go through. And we are the quickest people to say, ah, it's not my portion. I will not suffer. I will not die. But you need to realize that um, even though you're, you will not, you might not die, um, even though your own way of glorifying Christ may not be as grievous as martyrdom, you will still experience some level of suffering. The Bible says all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It is not a gamble. You will. If it is being spat on or being ignored or, you know, bypassed at your workplace because you're a Christian, in, in, in promotions or stuff, or just basic things like losing friends. All these things are, are, are forms of suffering. But I don't think this would be helpful enough if I don't show you graphically what people have gone through, what the early church, the first century church looked like. So how many of you know anything about the history of the church? It started basically as an offshoot of Judaism, right? So Judaism was the was this was the faith that they had at the time but they were under uh, the rulership of the roman emperor right and so jesus had come to a jewish audience and he had lived with them oh i just realized i'm not okay he had walked with them this was the god man in the flesh lived with them he died was buried rose from the dead people saw him right he walked amongst people and then he finally ascended to heaven the last thing he gave to them was hey go into the world preach the gospel i want to talk a little bit about that you see preaching the gospel is not a suggestion it's a command 
after Jesus received all the power and all the authority, he said, go into the world, preach the gospel, right? Disciple all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, teach them to observe all that I've commanded. So God gave, through Jesus, the disciples a command to go into the world and make disciples. Making disciples means to duplicate yourself, literally. You've seen the Christ. You've seen that it's true. Go and tell the world that he achieved everything that he came to achieve. So you can imagine what it was like. These 11 men started to go around, preach the message. We have some of that background in the book of Acts. But there is a part of Christian history that we can only see from outsiders, right? So that's what I want to show you. I have a book I did some research on during the week. Um, the title of the book is Water from a Deep Well. Let me grab it. So it's uh, Water from a Deep Well, Christian Spirituality from Early Matters to Modern Missionaries. By the way, a matter is someone who dies for their faith. So they, they have the reason they die is because they don't denounce or renounce the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, let's start from the Roman emperor who at the time, there were many, there was Nero, you know, there were a lot of people all the way to, till we see someone like Constantine who actually can be thanked for some reduction in the persecution that was experienced in that day because he eventually made it legal to be a Christian. But before then, anyone who named the name of Christ, because think about it, the Roman um, society or Rome at that time, and I hope you are following me because I'm going to be saying a lot of things, summarizing a lot of things, but this is, a, this is your history. So pay attention, right? Um, you know, Rome had a very, very pluralistic religion. And what I mean by pluralistic is they accepted every God. It was like, oh, okay, you worship this, no, no problem. So they were really tolerant of religions. But what they did in Rome was they took those religions and assigned a name to it that reflected their emperor or their ruler. So it was like, it ended up being worshiping their Roman leader at the time, just you know, with a different name. So they allowed plurality of religions. In fact, it was called, was a, and you saw it in the video, they had pantheon of gods, different gods. You know, Athena, they had um, um, God of the sun, Saturn, they worshiped Saturn. You know, they, just so many. And they, they were like, just br bring them on, bring them on. But Christianity was persecuted. Like Christians were persecuted so radically. And the question you might have is why? Weren't they just like one of the other religions? No, because what Christianity claims at its core is that Jesus is God in the flesh and that he is the only way to the Father. So think about this. Everyone came with a plurality saying, oh, okay, you can accept anything. You can believe anything. Christianity is exclusive. Christianity says, hey, no, this God that you're all trying to reach has revealed himself in one person and that person is Jesus. So Rome was like, mm -mm, we're not having it. It's either Caesar or Jesus. Who will you serve? And so the early Christians were trying to survive because if they were caught and they were asked 
whether they were Christians. They couldn't denounce it because they had believed the truth. They had seen the truth. And so that's the heritage that we have. I want to show you some of the examples. There was something called the Roman arena at that time. So the Roman arena was like where they would have entertainment, different events happening, you know, and people would come just like arenas today. But what actually happened, and if you watch some of these old movies, you probably know what I'm talking about. Maybe if you watch Merlin or some of those stuff, you'd see like in Rome, you would see there's an arena and then they will bring people to fight, like gladiators, they will fight with each other. So there were gladiators, people were killing each other and it was, it was entertainment at the time. Um, and the, the, the emperor would sit there and watch and people would share. But one of the things they added eventually was they brought Christians Listen to this. They brought Christians, people who had declared their faith in Jesus Christ, who were not going to denounce it or turn away from it. They gathered them together at the arena and released live lions to eat these people alive. And people were watching and cheering. If that was not the case, it was they were being impaled by the sword. Um, this is real stuff. Let me give you two examples of people that experienced this. So I really would recommend this book, man. I've, I've highlighted and highlighted and I just cried and like, man, we can, be so dis- we can be so disconnected because of how easy we are, like how easy our time is. Everything is easy for us, you know. Have, even, even though if you're in Nigeria right now, you might think, oh, you're suffering. 570 to $1, that's so bad. But there are people having it worse. People in prison, people that have no food, it's crazy. And some of these people, it's because they've decided not to turn from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at this. I read this before, right? I said in Second Timothy chapter 3, from verse 12, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, and, and like I said, the, the, the New Testament addresses this issue of persecution like so much that it just begins to sound like static in the radio. You know that sound? And it just deafens you to the reality of of suffering, you know? And because you just get accustomed to it. You forget that there are actual Christians living today as we speak, even though I'm going, taking you back to your history, that are actually being persecuted. I'll give you some stats, practical stats of persecution all around the world right now. And the mindset we that are, at ease, we who have everything working for us, how we ought to live because our brothers and sisters are being persecuted. And by the way, maybe you haven't understood what I mean by the title, the the believer and suffering. The emphasis I'm making here is persecution for the sake of the gospel, all right? That's the persecution we're talking about. It's suffering because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Every Christian that is true, follow up Jesus will experience this. And I'll, I'll show you more about that shortly. Let's start with someone called Justin Matter. This was someone who was not a Christian. So I'm going to read it real quick. All right. Justin Matter was, he is a, I know he's dead now, obviously, but he was a second century theologian and apologist. Um, he became a Christian after he watched the brutal execution of several Christians in Rome. So he was someone who had been seeing executions 
of Christians. And one thing he noticed about all these believers was that they were so joyful. They were so like, it, it seemed like this was something they really were not worried about doing or going through for the sake of Christ. And he was wondering like, what kind of person at the point of death will still be joyful? What do they know? And so that got his attention. It says he was moved by their courage and serenity and was intrigued by a faith that could engender such uncompromising conviction. After his conversion, he attempted to explain to secular critics why Christians were really willing to die. See what he said. This is just a matter saying this. We do not give up our confession, though we be executed by the sword, though we be crucified, thrown to wild beasts, put in chains, and exposed to fire and every other kind of torture. Everyone knows this. On the contrary, the more we are persecuted and martyred, the more do others in ever-increasing numbers become believers and God-fearing people through the name of Jesus. That's amazing. So the, 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 the Roman emperor um, and empire at that time thought that killing Christians was a way to silence them. But what ended up happening when people were being killed was that the gospel was prevailing. People were wondering, what do these people have? That they're not, they not afraid of losing their lives. What is this thing? Why are they so joyful when they're about to be killed? And they always stand firm and say things like, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I'm going to show you something. There's a lady, because of time, I'm skipping so many things that I've talked about. Um, look at something that so an outsider said about the Christian church, because a lot of people were seeing this, this group. They called them cults because they were like, you guys are weird. They said, they said Christians participated in orgies, you know, like parties. They practiced cannibalism and indulged in incest. So you, you see why they said all these things. Because for us, when we hear that, that doesn't sound right. But this is why they thought those things. So they equated participating in orgies, like parties, not realizing that that was what was called love feasts. So I hope you know this. I've taught you before, right? Christians loved to gather together in the early church. Like it was a normal thing. They would gather together. They would eat together. That's why Paul even wrote a whole chapter in First Corinthians to say, hey, don't get drunk while eating amongst other people. Like if you want to get drunk, you know, if you want to eat to your food, eat at home. Don't come and do it when people are here. Don't come in, to the gathering of, you know, to the, a love feast and where, where we are, you know, what, looking at, we're reverencing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't come here and just eat and let other people go hungry, right? He wrote a whole chapter. And so this person from the outside is looking, you know, these were, these were Christians living in Lyon. Lyon was like um, France, old, olden days France, right? Um, and so they said that um, they, they mistook orgies with uh, love feasts. And then, they, you know, they said cannibalism. What do you think they were referring to? It was the Eucharist, right? A practice where people came together and ate the bread and broke the bread and drank the wine. And it was called the body and the blood of Jesus, right? 
And then the use of terms of endearment, they confuse that with incest. So like the fact that people who were not connected by blood were calling themselves brothers and sisters and they were marrying each other. How many of you have thought about it? Like, you know, I'll say you're my sister in Christ, but you end up becoming my wife. Isn't that some kind of incest? But it's just a lack of understanding from people without, right? Just thought that was interesting to share. But this is still in the first century. People were dying. And one of the people I want to talk about is Perpetua. Perpetua just had a newborn, you know, and um, she was arrested, thrown into prison. And she was separated from her family because she was she was born in a family. She was separated and punished because people knew that oh, if we punish someone who is highly reputable, it will shun others from worshiping this God but they were very mistaken, all right? So the, look at what happened here. Um, perpetual, let me read this, how they said it here. So they, they were caught hearings. The father was, this, this was very interesting. The father was pleading with her, do abandon me to the reproach of men. Think of your brothers, think of your mother and your aunt. Think of your child who will not be able to live once you're gone. So you can see the emotional draw a father is telling his daughter who just had a child that you are being arrested for this jesus guy what's going to happen to your mom what's going to happen to your newborn think about this this these are real people i know it's easy for you to get detached and or perpetual just a historical figure you know that's how people are so dis, dis, dissociated from the person of christ because we're talking two thousand years ago the, the length of time that has passed does not invalidate history. If you can believe that there was the first president of Nigeria, even though you were not there and you have the information, you need to also realize that that was a real person in a real time experiencing real circumstances. Very, very important. But then he begged her, he said, give up your pride. You will destroy all of us. You know, others urged her to sacrifice to the emperor and to God. And this is what you need to realize. The reason these people were is because they said they were only allegiance to one God, the true God, God and his son, Jesus. They were not allegiant to the emperor to worship or to offer sacrifices to him as a deity. All right. And so they told, they begged her, Perpetua, perform the sacrifice, have pity on your baby, but Perpetua will not yield. She said, I'm a Christian. Finally, the governor condemned her to the beasts. Right. And she got arrested and the whole story goes on. She saw visions, you know, in her, she had a dream where she knew that that was the end for her, that she, the next thing she was going to experience was eternity with Christ. And she was so happy. And she told her friends, others in prison with her that, you know, this is the situation. You, are, you can be comforted. And even when she was, she was brought out to be killed, she was singing. And everyone was like, how can someone be so joyful in the midst of persecution? Perpetua is your sister. That's the point I'm trying to make. This is someone who was persecuted. Let's assume today that Nigeria, for example, because most of us are in Nigeria, all right? And this can happen. Something enters the head of Buhari and he says, you know what? I don't care what it is. I'm going to make sure that even though some people may say he can't do it, but let's just assume and we, we have people praying, by the way. We are praying people. So we, we are part of what is restraining the influx of evil to a certain degree on this earth. 
Because when we pray, things actually happen. But imagine Buhari just said, hey, you know, this Nigeria is going to be an Islamic state. So if you're a Christian, you're wrong. And then they start getting all of you and arresting you and saying, hey, are you sure you're still a Christian? It's very easy. Become a Muslim and you go. We will give you a house. I'm telling you that a lot of Christians today, they will look at they'll be like, hmm, 570 to 1 or more. The situation is bad. And you start thinking about your earthly tent, this body right now, and how you can survive in it and stay alive. And then you forget the author and the finisher of your faith. That's, that, is, that is something that can happen. This is something that has happened. People being forced to renounce their faith in Christ. It's amazing. Let me tell you the story about that person. You know, this is perpetual. You can read about her story. Um, and you, you find some of these things in, there's a book called The Act of the Christian Martyrs. People died. See, I, I don't know if you've thought about it. All the disciples, all of them, with the exception of John, were killed. Think about it. Peter was crucified upside down. Thomas was killed. Matthew was killed. Every single one of them. And what was the consistent theme? They said they had seen the Lord. This Jesus, they saw him. It's not a story. We saw him with our eyes. We felt him. So if we know that God has come down and that he's telling us that we will live forever, what is killing us? What is that going to achieve for you? Start a mindset that I think we need to start getting back to. And I know it's very, it's not common. This is not a teaching that is common in the church. So when you hear suffering, it's like, uh-uh. You know, just, you know, you can just avoid the topic. God wants you to prosper. And that's all you keep hearing. So you are so dissociated. When you hear that someone, there's bombing in a church, you're like, hey, yeah. And you move on so quickly because you don't understand your heritage. Let me give you another person. His name is Polycarp. Man, Polycarp's story is is even worse. (laughs) So he served in the church in Smyrna, which was which is modern-day modern Turkey. And many of you know what has happened in Turkey. Turkey is no longer a Christian country, even though that was where the apostles started their ministry um, in the first century or before the first century. It's now completely Islamized, or how do they say that word? That's crazy. That means it's possible for a nation to become that way. But Polycarp was someone who, you know, at this, at the point of his death, they were asking him, you, you need to turn away from this Jesus that, you're, that you believe in. But he will not. Same story consistently. They told him, let me read this to you real quick. Swear by Caesar's fortune, the preconsul said, if you imagine that I will swear, this is Polycarp's response, because he was brought in and everybody was there. He said, if you imagine that I will swear by Caesar's fortune, as you put it, pretending not to know who I am, I will tell you plainly. I'm the preconsul threatened. He said, I have wild beasts. I will throw you to them if you don't change your attitude. Do you know what he said? He said, call them. <laughs> this is amazing. He said, if you make light of the beasts, I will have you destroyed by fire. By the way, do you realize that it was very common to see people lit up on fire, Christians on the, on the streets, they said they would not renounce Jesus. They would they believe Jesus is Lord. 
and they were willing to die. My camera just died. Hold on. Switch to my normal HD camera. Let me know if you guys can still see me. Yes, I can see. Oh, yeah. It's just that the quality is different, but it's fine. And these people were burnt on the stake, on the streets. People would see, and that would, you know, the message to the whole of Rome that, hey, stay away from these Christians. But what was happening was that people on the ground were going to these people and saying, hey, what do you have? Why, is, why are you so joyful? And the gospel kept prevailing. This is amazing. I, 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 could, I could go on and on, but there's no time. I want to get us into some scriptures. Because see, martyrdom was a way of life for the early church. And maybe today we don't see it so often. It's not like people are just dying around you for believing the gospel. But I tell you for a fact, try not to be so localized in your thinking. You may be in Nigeria. You may be in the U.S. You may be in Canada. But you have brothers and sisters in Yemen, Afghanistan. You have brothers and sisters around the world suffering for the sake of Christ. The same message that you heard. So it, it calls to question, how much do you believe it? Because I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's a thought to have. Just imagine if you were in a situation where it was, you would live, I'll spare you, I'll kill you. And the only deciding factor is whether you're a Christian or not. How many of you have imagined yourself there? Like if there was a sword to your neck, let's be honest. It's, it's okay to say I'm not there yet. You get, and that's the point. And the truth is not everyone would, would, would um, glorify God through a martyr's death. All right. Many of us will not die. You know, in fact, there's a sense in which some people might be called. There's a sense the Bible gives that some people are called to martyrdom, right? Uh, Paul, when he was called, Jesus said, I have shown him how he would suffer for my sake. So it was clear. Look at Peter. Peter already, Jesus gave him an idea of how he would die. I want to show you some scriptures. All right. Because, man, it's so important that you see that this is not just a story. This is real. This is from the Bible. So we're going to look at a few verses together. Are you ready? All right. And I'm, I'm going to try to bring a balance to this. Because, and I'll say it now because I think it helps. Um, don't run in, because the, the Bible talks about you suffering, all right? Because the Bible talks about you suffering. It doesn't mean that you should run into suffering or try not to be um, delivered from, from suffering, all right? The Bible is clear that um, in Second Thessalonians, there's a prayer. Paul said, pray for us that we'll be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. So you can pray for deliverance and you should pray for the deliverance of those who are being persecuted. They're your brothers and your sisters. All right. So there is, it's clear in scripture, but it's so important that you can identify with their sufferings because you could be in that situation tomorrow. That's very, very important because I know there's so much of an influx of teaching about God wants to prosper you God wants to bless you. And does he do those things? Yes, he does. Well, if that is your priority as a Christian and everything else around your life is just Netflix and chill, you know, going to, to special concerts, um, you know, once in a while, just having that nice worship concert. But there is no evidence of spiritual growth in your life. There is no evidence that you are growing in the knowledge and in the wisdom of God. That is... 
that is scary. And that's what we're seeing today. A lot of people just have this outward appearance of something. And we need to be more introspective. This is where we need to pray and say, Lord, <laughs> I've seen stories that have drawn from a deep well. And I've seen what the Christian history looks like. I don't feel that way. Something is wrong. Help me see it. That's the kind of prayer we should be having. All right. So let me just uh, mention a few things here. What are we supposed to do with suffering? The number one is we need to identify with the sufferings of Christ. That's point one. Identify with the sufferings of Christ. Let me show you what it says in John uh, 15. I know there'll be a lot of questions, so it will be great if you can put those questions in the chat. I'll pick them up at the end. All right. So let's go. This is our Lord. This is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ talking to his disciples. See what he said. He said, if the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. See, there is no level of goodness that you want to have that will exempt you from being hated. If Jesus, the, the, the element, the fullness of goodness was killed and hated, what, who are you? <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if the world hates you, then you know that he hated me before he hated you. He says, if you were of the world, the world will love you as its own. And that's why I wonder, like, if everybody loves you, it's either you have decided not to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so everyone doesn't even know that you're a Christian. That's, that's not a good thing. Or you're just an unbeliever, because the world will accept you. There's no difference. There's nothing. So they will hate you. In fact, they will tolerate, they will hug you. It's going to be like, yeah, we want you. But if you will be distinct, if you're going to follow Christ, they will hate you. They hated him. He says, I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hated you. Remember the words that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. They have persecuted me. They will also persecute. It's an assurance. It's, Jesus was not saying you might or not. There will be some level of persecution. And you might not die like the apostles did. That was how God. Paul mentioned it this way. He said, he said, I will glorify Christ, whether in life or in death. So Paul knew that even when he dies, his death is glorifying God. You need to think of God bigger than this world. That's the problem we have. We don't see him beyond time. But God is eternal. Right? And then he says, you know, all these things they will do unto you for my name's sake, for they, do, they know not him that sent me. All right. So that's, that's an example here. Another text is 2 Timothy, and I'll answer the question on the chat. 2 Timothy 2, from verse 8 to verse 10. Look at this. This is, let me put in the NIV because it's easy to read. It says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. This is Paul speaking. I'm being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Hallelujah. He says, I, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul's mindset is, I'm being chained, but the word of God is not being chained. So 
adverse or was not surprised, let me put it that way, about suffering. He, he knew it was there. He experienced it. And in a sense, he embraced it because he knew that even in that, God is glorified. I'm going to read the um, um, text. Okay, what if we were to make an argument that these guys were eager to die because they know that they were going home to a happy place to meet God? Does that mean they were willing to die just because they love God or willing to die because they had a biggest place to go? I love that question. So really, it's the question of motivation. Were they um, willing to die because they, they knew that God would be where they are going? I think it's the combination of both. There is there's something um, John Piper said. Oh, I have to find that sermon. He was talking about suffering um, in the path of love uh, so I've forgotten the title, but his, his point was like, you know, why is it really a noble thing to want to see other people saved and suffer for that sake when you know that there is a reward for you? So are you doing it because of a reward? But the point is, you need to realize that where your reward is fullness of joy in Christ. But guess what that is? That's glory in you. So God, this is how John Piper likes to say it. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. In On the earth here, we may never reach that level of full enjoyment of God. There will always be distractions on this side of, the, of, of eternity. We're always going to have conflict. We're always going to have issues that will limit how we see God or our love for him. But the point is, God is most glorified in us when we find our full satisfaction in him. And so if by dying, your goal is to see God glorified in His in your satisfaction in him, then it's no longer a selfish goal. Let me say it in another way. God is for God. You're just in the picture. But because you came into his picture, God decided to love you. So there is a sense in which everything God does is for his glory and for your satisfaction. Because he created you, he knows that nothing else will satisfy you except him. So if you suffer as a Christian, in fact, we'll see some verses that will make this thing very clear. Peter was saying, if you suffer as a Christian, you're actually glorifying God. We're going to look at those verses. I think it will make this even clearer. So it's not really a selfish thing to desire this. But the point I'm making is make sure that you're, you're, you are open to the possibility that you will suffer for Christ. There's, some, there's a way you need to have a mental, you have to have a mental, um, remove every mental model that you have that, oh, you know, it's not my portion. I reject it. Know that you will go through trials for the sake of Christ. It's something you need to embrace and accept. What it will look like is not, is not really the matter. But the bigger picture is there is a reward for everyone who suffers for him. There is a reward for everyone who perseveres. God is ultimately the joy of your heart. He is the focus. He is the goal. All right. Yeah, I just said the ultimate satisfaction is the satisfaction that turns away from self and only to Christ. I couldn't have said that better. If you what, Have you noticed that everyone is looking for joy 
in something. You hear it in sentences that people make. You ask a lady, you know, why, why, why do you want to have a boyfriend? Say, oh, I want to be happy, you know? Or you ask somebody, why do everybody's always like, I want to be happy. Why do you want to be rich? Oh, I want to be happy. And then you hear from the rich and ask them, you have all the wealth, are you happy now? And they tell you no. Because the, the, the heart of man is always desperately seeking satisfaction. But the one who created us left a vacuum there, a hole that is Christ-shaped, that only Christ can fill. Very important. So, um, okay, and Abisola is summarizing. So basically, there is a healthy balance between being motivated by the reward and doing what you should do as a believer for God. Your motive, just like she said, your motive is to serve God. There is a reward, but guess what? The reward is him. The reward is really him. It's not about the stars on your crown. Whose stars help? It is God. He's the one that really brings true joy. Have you noticed how the, the most exciting, I don't know if you've experienced this, that the most exciting moments in your life are those moments where you're just lost in God. Like you just feel a peace and a joy and a happiness. So restricted. So restrictive. Yes, you can. Okay, so... The moment anything takes you, the moment anything whatsoever takes away the place of God as being number one in your life, that thing has basically become God to you, to bring you home. What I'm saying is this, the focus for the believer, the focus for every Christian is always knowing God, is always glorifying God. God or Christ is the center of the Christian's life. At every point in time, it's not necessarily the reward. The reward itself or in and of itself is Christ. Nothing outside that, right? At the moment, at those moments where it seems like the Christians are about to be persecuted and everything, the focus was always Christ. If you look at when they were stoning Stephen to death, even at the point where he was dying, his eyes remained fixed on God, fixed on Christ. And you could hear his confessions at the point of his death. That is always the motivation for the Christian. That is always the focal point for the Christian. It's not about the stars. It's not about the mansions. It's not about all those things. The moment your thoughts are on those things or fixated on those things, it takes away Christ or it takes away the position of Christ who is meant to be number one. At the end of the day, the ultimate joy and reward for the Christian would always be Christ and can never be replaced by any other thing else. The moment it is replaced by something else, that thing becomes God to you. And thank you, Treasure. So aptly said, look at this verse. I think it caps it up. This is what Peter was saying. He said, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. He says, don't be surprised. Though something strange were happening to you. But look at what he said he should do but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. This is weird. How many times do you hear this preached on Sunday? Participating in the sufferings of Christ is part of the gifts in Christianity. In fact, there's a verse that says, it is not only granted to you to believe on his name, but also to, also to suffer for his sake. The fact that these things are in scripture means we can't gloss over them. It says, rejoice. It should be something that brings joy to your heart, that you, you are participating in the sufferings of Christ. Because do you know why? Why is this important? Paul said in Romans, if you were buried with him, you will be raised with him. If you suffer with him, you'll be glorified with him. So participating in the sufferings of Christ means you will participate in his glory. 
meaning the new body will be resurrected, you will experience full joy. Let me show you that verse that just came to my mind. Philippians 3, 10. Man, this Sunday cannot be enough for this. We might probably have next, next month, we'll go into another aspect of this. Maybe we'll bring some balance. We'll talk about what Christians should do when, when being persecuted, how we should handle it. I think if God leads in that direction, we'll do that. Look at what Paul was saying. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. He, the, 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 this is the theology of Paul, the theology of Peter, that we should also carry along as our theology. That when we go through trials and persecution and suffering for the sake of Christ, we will also participate in his glory. It's like, hey, being a Christian is already some level of condemnation from the world, especially if you decide you're going to follow Christ all the way. It might come in different shapes and sizes, but it's going to come and you have to be ready for it. That's the point that I'm trying to emphasize. The, it's, it doesn't... It doesn't um, it doesn't pay you to, to say, oh, this is not for me. How does that help? It shows that your desire, your, your love, your um, reward is your self-preservation. And remember what Jesus said about self-preservation. Who remembers? He said, he that saves his life will lose it. Well, he that lets go of his life for the sake of the gospel will find it. That's the, that's the philosophy of the Christian life. Um, look at this verse. Just to show you what the apostles did. I said number one was identify with the sufferings of Christ. You should also identify with the sufferings of the apostles because it helps you realize that they were ordinary human beings. You know, they had been told, don't preach anymore, get out, go away. And then, you know, they brought them um, to the, you know, they were being persecuted, um, they're being tried. And then someone stood up from their midst, um, Gamaliel, the teacher, I said, see, there were some people who were raising up some belief systems and they faded away. These guys are true. Let them, God will reveal them to be true. If they are false, they will fade away like the others faded away. And so what they said is, okay, you guys stop preaching in the synagogues. And what they said is they, they just flog them and let them go. Listen to this from verse 40, Acts 540. His speech persuaded them. So this Gamaliel speech. So the, the Sanhedrin and all of them said, okay. So they called the apostles in. They flogged them. When I say flogged, like serious flogging, not the one that your teacher gave you and you were doing a day in, in school. This is serious flogging with Roman cane, or I don't know what they call it. Um, what do you want to call it? <laughs> then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So listen, they told them, hey, don't talk, don't mention this Jesus name again. We flogged you to teach you a lesson. So they realized that, see, what you are telling us to do is opposite to what Christ said I should do. So we're sorry, we can't do it. But look at what happened. They let the Sanhedrin. How? Crying? No. Rejoicing. Have you seen that theme? In, in suffering, there's always that theme of rejoicing. From the early church, the first century church, second century church, the apostles, they rejoiced in persecution. It's illogical. But that's the point. Christianity starts from the, a very, very illogical, um, from a natural mind. It's an illogical conclusion. Think about what, what you believe as a Christian, as I round up. 
you believe that a man for three days and rose up again and that he's alive today and that your sins are forgiven, it's illogical to the natural mind. That's why Paul said it's revealed by the spirit to those who are spiritual. First Corinthians chapter two. This is so crucial. Your mindset ought to be Christ is all. Christ is everything. I find my satisfaction in Christ. If I have to suffer for I will gladly do it. Let me show you one more verse. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. The writer of Hebrews was saying this. Let's start from verse 32. Remember those early days after you had received the light, so you were enlightened, you received the gospel. When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes... Oh, someone wants to speak. Sorry, one second. Okay. Oh, I already did. Oh, just hold on, hold on, please. So sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And this is really where I'm getting at here. There were people who were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. But you, who are not, what should be your disposition? You should be side by side with them. That's what leads to the final point here. Identify with the sufferings of your brothers and your sisters. See, you sympathize with them, with those in prison. So you're not in prison, but you must sympathize with those who are suffering for the sake of Christ. It's the same Christ you believe in and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possession. Think about it. Their property was stolen because they went to be with those in prison. And to comfort them, they lost their property. But they said it doesn't matter. Why? Because they knew they had better and lasting possession. See, the, the, the encouragement for suffering is not suffering in itself. It's not an end in itself. It's not something to glorify in, oh, I suffered for Christ. It's the end of that suffering that matters. What is the end? The hope of the gospel. Christ's return. Your joy and satisfaction in him. Unending joy in him. Um lasting possessions that cannot be destroyed by moth and 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 whatever that's very very important praise jesus i will let um, treasure speak and then i'll um, end it here there's so much more to say my notes is full but we'll have a part two where we'll interact a lot more i can hear back from you guys treasure go ahead okay hi guys good evening or good afternoon wherever you may be um, so just further emphasize on some of the things that Ernest has actually said. Um, all through the years, actually, the gospel was, according to a particular preacher, is a, permit me to use the word, a bloody gospel, a gospel that was given to us in blood, sweat, and tears uh, by people's efforts over the years and over time from um, people at various points having to be crucified to the point whereby having to even get the Bible to the laymen because at a particular point, it was only the priest that had access to the scriptures and everything. And what that imprints within my heart is it's simple. Um, as we saw earlier in the video, we've gotten so carried away and it's not necessarily a bad Thing actually and yes the balance it's not necessarily a bad thing like to actually want to see yourself do well and stuff like this in our time or in our age 
But then again, we've gotten so carried away by the things of this world and the things around us that we quickly forget the origin of where the scriptures come from. We quickly forget the sacrifices that men had to pay to get us, to get the Bible to where it is or to get the gospel to where it is right now, today, in our time and age. And the honest question to everyone is, do we, if those sacrifices were asked of us, would we be willing to pay the price to be able to push the gospel just as these men were able to pay the price to push the gospel at all costs? And I feel like that's what should be in everyone's heart and mind. If we were to make these sacrifices, would we be willing to pay the price just as a lot of these people were willing to give themselves up to up onto their lives to pay the price? Um, I, I, when I read about Christian suffering and Christian history, like a lot of it, I'm marveled by a lot of things, especially even down to the white missionaries and what a couple of them did. It, it, it marvels me to the point at which people were so devoted to the point of giving up themselves entirely just for the sake of the gospel being preached. Do we still have that urgency today? And are we still, would we still, sorry, would we still pay this price that these men paid if we were asked to? That is the question that is really on my heart right now. Thank you, Ernest, for the teaching. Thank you so much for adding those thoughts. And we're already out of time. Um, I, I think we're going to have another session and it will be more interactive because this was just to lay a foundation that suffering is not, it's not extreme. It's part and parcel of the Christian faith. And you might experience it in different forms, but be ready for it. Biblical responses to embrace it, pray against it, when it's um, it's for the sake of it, it's coming against other people, um, but when it gets to a point where it's between you and Christ, man, it should not be you. Christ is all and is is in all. Praise God. So um, that's what we'll round up today. I just want to share some, and we don't finish by no, we finish exactly by four. We just spent some extra minutes. Sorry. But we always have an after party for anyone who wants to stay around and still like discuss what we're discussing. Uh, for a few moments. But let me just share some things with you. So um, next week is our Hermeneutics Sunday. Who's excited? And it's the beginning of a new month. So make sure you come ready and prepared. We're studying. Uh, the title is, Is That What It Means? And we're looking at a lot of scriptures that are misinterpreted. and want to understand how do we get the actual meaning? And maybe you have that question. How do I know what the verse means? You know, is it what my pastor said? How can I for myself actually know what the text means? So come, be ready, come with your hermeneutics glasses, come with your exegetive tools. And we're going to, and I'm going to also, fun fact, I'm going to share some tips on how to study. So we'll do practical sessions, you know, use Bible tools, concordances. I'm sure Treasure is, Treasure is excited. I knew it. So yeah. Come, come ready. And if you've been blessed in any way with this um, by this platform, tell people to join, tell them to come. We have a podcast where you can listen to past sermons and teachings that we've had here. Um, this week, you're reading 2 Corinthians chapter 7, which is an extension from, you know, last time, but 7 and 8. So 2 Corinthians 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Please join us to read the Bible. It's the best thing you can do with your time 
all right? I hope you're having private prayer times. I hope you're growing in the knowledge of God. Um, and I hope you are reaching out to people with the message of the gospel, all right? So I love you guys. Let me just pray us out and then we will be out of our way, out of the way, sorry. Father, in the name of Jesus, we worship you and we thank you for illuminating our hearts to the truth that, hey, Christ is all and in all. Christ is worthy of living for and dying for. Jesus is everything. He's the one that we live for. It's one we move in and we have our being in him. Lord, help us to embrace suffering for the sake of Christ, to rejoice in suffering. And help us, Lord, to trust you in spite of it. And Lord, help us also to have the right mindset to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's not just a message of health, wealth, and happiness here and now, but it's truly a message of surpassing joy and delight in Christ because he's the one we need. Help us to refocus our attention on this. It's hard when the world that is just consistently inundating us with, with wrong information, but Lord, we stand firm. We stand firm in opposition to this present age. And we say, Lord, we trust you and we follow your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon project, visit our website, bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy. Thank you.